What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I won the Canadian Nationals for wrestling when I was in junior high and high school. So I was number one in Canada for wrestling. Have you ever done anything with that, by the way? Like jujitsu or? Nope. No, I haven't done anything with it outside of, you know, accidentally choking out my brother-in-law in his basement um, <laughs> after a couple of beer one day. <laughs> yeah, if you get some beer in you, it's like, hey, let's go, let's wrestle. He's like, I want to see you like here, try and take me down. And I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> all right, yeah, that's awesome. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Ryan Wiley. He's a good friend of mine. I've known for several years, and he's also the host of the 12-Hour Broker Podcast, which is part of the I Love Mortgage Brokering Network, and I can't believe I've never actually had him on the show. Ryan is one of the absolute smartest marketers that I know in terms of just understanding marketing and building marketing processes. Funded 70 million last year, working 30 hours a week. And he's got an assistant that only works about 10 hours a week. It's his wife. And so we dive into a little bit about that. And a couple of things that we talk about. First, how focusing on a single avatar. So one type of client that he wants to work with has helped him really grow his business, made it easier for him, made him more efficient because Ryan's really good at finding the easiest or the most efficient way to do things. He talks about how he took a detour into being a Facebook marketer for mortgage brokers and realtors and he's having success with it, but realized that it wasn't a fit and how he came back to mortgages. And then finally, he shares how authenticity is king and how when he decided to stop being a suit and tie guy, he's more of a hoodie and a you know ball cap kind of guy and how he he attracted better clients and it just was more in alignment with who he was and i think we can all be reminded of just be yourself man you know you don't need to be somebody else just be the best version of yourself and you're going to attract the people that are going to be into that so if you're interested as well ryan is one of the coaches at our 10 loans a month academy and the clients that get coached from him love him he brings a ton of value you can check out 10loansamonth.com get on the wait list we have some spots coming up soon and so if you get on that wait list we'll make sure you get you an invite when those come they are limited spots just based on the fact that all of our coaches are busy successful mortgage brokers ryan being one of them and also i do an ask the expert segment with Aaron from deeded.ca. And so deeded is basically a virtual lawyer. Your clients can sign without ever having to step foot in the law office, which is awesome. And I talked to Aaron about title insurance and there's four main things that title insurance will cover. It covers 32 things, but we talk about the four big ones that people use it for. And it's just help you kind of understand how title insurance works. Finally, I want to give a huge shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Without Finmo, we could not continue to produce these shows. So thank you guys so much for seeing the vision of what we're trying to do. We love your product and what you guys bring to the mortgage industry. So if you don't know what about Finmo, they are an application, document collection, and now submission platform that brokers can use. It's an alternative to the options that are out there. And it's very, very slick. So currently, they're connected with over 250 lenders. You can submit directly through them. And they have compliance. You can run it on autopilot. So after a deal is submitted to a lender, compliance manager, it's really easy for people to do the compliance. It tends to be a pain for a lot of people. They were a tech company who happened to get into the mortgage space and they really understand how to build user-friendly tech. So go check out that finmo.ca slash ILMB. And thanks again for checking out this episode. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. So we've known each other for a long time. and I can't believe we've actually never done a podcast together considering how much we talk, but I know lots about you. So for our listeners, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the business. You know what? I used to be in commercial real estate back in the day in Calgary. And then we moved to Toronto, me and my wife and commercial real estate wasn't a fit for me there. It was a little too buttoned up. 
I'm usually hanging out with guys and self-made guys with cowboy boots up on the desk and moving to Toronto. I was with C-level executives on the 34th floor of a tower negotiating lease contracts. And it definitely was not my style. And so I said, I got to get out of this, but I love real estate. I'm either going to become a realtor or a mortgage broker. And so I asked people on either side, people I respected, trusted what their opinions were. And I basically picked the mortgage broker route because I did not have to work evenings. I didn't have to work weekends and I could be incorporated. And that pushed me to being a mortgage broker. Right. Okay, cool. We'll dive in a bit more about your business and sort of stuff that you do. But before we do that, I love quotes, how they're portable, memorable. Tell me about a quote that's really had an impact on your life or business. Yeah, there's one that I always go back to because being in our business, you have to get you know comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so there's a quote from Steve Jobs and I usually butcher it, but I've got it up here. So I'm actually going to read it word for word, but it's uh, remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. And that basically just says anything that you were scared to do in your business, pick up the phone, put yourself out there, social media, create a webinar, like you're going to die. Like the end is coming. You literally have nothing to lose. And so I always go back to that whenever there's like a point where I'm like, should I do this or should I not do it? I think of that quote and I go, I'm doing it. Doesn't matter what it is. And I go. Right. So it basically that fear that often people face when they're doing something new and where they don't do it or fear of rejection, fear of trying something. You're just like, I'm going to die. That's kind of like the self-talk that you do. Pretty much. Yeah. I don't remember the exact quote when I think about it. I just remember I'm going to die. (laughs) Right. So. Giddy up, let's go, who cares? And the interesting thing you touched on a second ago, you talked about, you know, the suits and the C-level executives, and you're the kind of guy who crushes a pretty good volume wearing a hoodie and a backwards hat, right? Like, so tell me about that, like, because that's more your jam. Yeah, that's something that's morphed over the years. I used to wear a suit every day in Toronto, downtown Toronto, doing mortgages. I'd go to suit, sit with my mentor, and it was great, and I learned a lot doing that, but I never felt like me. It just wasn't me buying suits, wearing suits, not my jam. And so slowly, especially over the past couple of years, you know, the way I talked to clients, I felt like I had a little bit of an imposter syndrome and it was, I couldn't be myself all the time. I felt like I had to be something to get certain types of clients. And now I literally wear a hat, a hoodie, shorts, flip-flops. That's what I wear every day. And I will go on camera. I don't comb my hair when I go on camera with clients. You did once, actually. Recently, I saw you on a video and I was like, you did your hair. Like, this is crazy. You you never do your hair. I did. And and you know what? The way I talk to clients, and it's just because I like to, I'm building my tribe of people that like me and love me. And, you know, I talk to CEOs of companies and I'm like, hey, dude, is this time still work for a chat? And he's like, yeah, sure. Because most people, they're living that other life where it's like, you're trying to be something you're not and you're trying to act a certain way. I act the same way every day, no matter who I'm talking to. It's way less energy too, because you're just being yourself. I think authenticity, being authentic, I think that's king. I think if you do that and then certain things you do in a day, it makes it a little easier to do if it's things that you don't like doing because you're just being yourself. But if I have to change the way I talk to people, and the way that I dress already, I feel like I'm doing stuff I don't want to do. So, right, right. That doesn't jive. Okay. So can you share something you failed at? I know that, you know, as a mortgage broker, business owner, you're an entrepreneur, not everything works out, but when you look back, eventually, even the worst thing, there's always a lesson in it. So can you share something you failed at? And now looking back, there was a lesson in it for you? Something that I failed at. Yeah. I'd say there's, you know, within the past 
six years or so, I've tried a bunch of different things on top of being a mortgage broker because I was convinced I didn't want to be a mortgage broker. So I was always looking for other things. So I did a lot of other businesses, a lot of other ventures because I love marketing. And so one of them was I went down Facebook advertising and I actually built it out where I would go get leads and I got leads for realtors and mortgage brokers and I would purchase them for a certain amount. And then I would sell them obviously for X amount for them. And I went down that path and I had about seven or eight clients. And then I realized, wow, this is getting extremely technical. And I realized I was like level one or two in Facebook advertising, but I needed to be level three, four or five. And then I realized I didn't really care that much about knowing the technical part of Facebook ads. I liked structuring the marketing side of it, not the, hey, press this button, press this button. And so that business failed simply being, I realized I was out of my depth and I didn't want to go get the training to get me there. I didn't care enough about it. And so it did fail, but I also realized what I like doing. That was the outcome out of it. I realized to stay in my lane and I found out pretty quickly, even after having eight or nine clients, I had to let them down and say, hey, I'm no longer doing this. And they were sad and they wanted me to carry on doing it. But that was probably one of the failures in the past decade that I've had that Right. I remember that actually. And we had actually met one time many moons ago. You reached out to me about something and you're like, Hey dude, I got this idea. And we were like, so do I. And anyway, that's sort of how our paths originally crossed. And (laughs) that's another story for another day. We won't get into that, but okay. Yeah. That Facebook marketing. And I have to say, like, I know a lot of people in the mortgage space and you are definitely one of the smartest marketers that I know. And even now I will go to you all the time be like, Hey, what do you think about this? And you're like, I love the uh, back and forth that we get to have over marketing because it's also something that I absolutely love to do. So tell me about your business. Okay. So in terms of production, so like last year, if you're okay sharing it, what did you do in production? And then that's the first question. The second question is what's unique about your business? And I kind of know the answer to this, but our listeners probably don't. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Last year, I would say, so that's what, 2020, we were in the, I'd say 70, I don't know the exact number. It's between 70 and 75 is what we were last year. And this year, 75 million, not 75 correct, deals. Yeah. Correct. And this year we're trending over that probably around the hundred million mark is where we'll hit this year. So we're pretty proud about that, but something unique about our business is once again, you know, the older you get, the more experience you get in the industry, you start dialing in the people you really want to work with. And so it's become very, very clear who our avatar client is, you know, our book of business starts turning over now. And so to all those people listening, you know, you need to build that list because now we're really, really reaping the benefits of having that list and marketing to the list. And then the new business we go after, you know, we're trying to find first time real estate investors. Our avatar client is John and Sally, double income or household income, maybe two, 250. They've got a million dollar home, three, $400,000 mortgage, throwing money into RESPs, RRSPs. They don't really know they're going to retire. They don't really know if they're going to have enough money to send their kids to school. And we just show them a way where they can use the equity in their home to buy their first investment property, not 10 properties, just the first one, you know, it steamrolls from there, but that's our avatar client. And our business is very, very focused on that. And that's why our volumes have jumped up because we get a lot of two for one deals. Right. Uh, yeah. Every deal is like a deal and a half or two deals. And yeah. then you're also one of the coaches in our 10 loans a month Academy. And you're actually one of the most popular, I don't want your ego to get too big, but you are one of the most high rated coaches that we have. And if you guys are listening, so Ryan, why don't you talk about what you coach on? Each of the coaches do have what I call like a superpower or something that they're very good at. And so in our academy, you can check it out at 10 loans a month. But 
each coach has a separate set of skills. And if you work with that coach, they're going to teach you that. And so what is the thing that you coach on in that, which is part of your um, business? So yeah, there's that large asset that we're going to help you build in that. But even more than that, I sort of let you see behind the scenes of our mortgage business. So every week or every two weeks when we chat, I'll break out a piece of our business and I'll just show you. And I'll literally like show the screen and I'll walk you through our templates, the conversations we have with clients, the budgeting we do, the videos we do. I give you everything. I show you how we run our business and then you can draw inspiration from that. That's sort of an ongoing thing we do. But the big goal of the coaching group is to help you build an automated sales funnel, essentially like a marketing webinar that just sits there and runs while you're sleeping, while you're not doing it. And so if that's for first-time homebuyers, we first want to find out who's that avatar you want more clients of. Is it first-time homebuyers? Is it first-time investors? Is it refinances? Is it B clients? And then we teach you how to go get more of those clients through webinars. And so we will do a recorded webinar and then we set it on autopilot. We attach a URL to it. And you essentially have this digital asset that will help convert people who may not know you into people that like and love you and into mortgage business. So there's a lot of technical stuff we do there. And a lot of people don't understand how to do that. And luckily I do. So we'll walk you through that. And we have two levels. We have level one where we build it. And then level two, where we show you how to leverage it and go get more business or more referral partners. Right. Yeah. And the clients that are in it love it. Like I've said, the feedback on it is amazing. And it's basically like you're creating an automated salesperson for your business. Somebody who never sleeps, doesn't need to get a paycheck, doesn't take sick days, and they're out there constantly funneling your clients into your business. And the thing is, they're showing up and they don't care that you're in a hoodie and a hat because they're like, okay, I've already seen how smart this person is or how helpful they are solving my problem that they're like, I'm going to do business with you. Like, I think it really does help when you can pre-educate a client or educate them prior to that conversation. Oh yeah. By the time we get on calls with people, they've watched the webinar, they went and booked a call, they showed up for the call. So they've already been conditioned into how I talk, what we're talking about. They can already understand I'm an expert at what I'm talking about. And so when we're on that phone call, they're kind of like, what do we do? How do we make this happen? I don't have to go and sell them on everything and explain it and break down all their objections. You might have to overcome one or two, but they've already jumped through a lot of hoops to get on that initial phone call with me and already spent time with me without me actually spending the time with them, which is pretty cool. Right. So listening to this, you're going to fund potentially hundred million this year. How big is your team? Me and my wife, my wife works, I don't know, maybe 10 hours a week. And then how many hours a week do you put into the mortgage business? If I had to average it out, I'd say probably 30. 30 hours a week doing 100 million. And that's pretty amazing. But you're very good at systems. I think all of the marketing and training that you've done in the past on automation is one of those things that's one of your strengths, right? You use a lot of technology to help supplement so that you don't have to work 60 hours or you don't have to go get another person. Yeah, absolutely. We've got that software baked into our process, but like we've got commandments in our business. Right now, our commandment list is about 28 deep. I won't go into what they are, but if we stick to those commandments on how we run our mortgage business, you know, the amount of people we have to talk to to fund that volume is very small compared to the average broker because of the way we've set up our process. And it, right. once again, it comes back to making them jump through hoops and funneling through the people that when I talk to them, it's a deal already. It's just sitting there. It's for me to screw up basically on that call. I don't have to go talk to 10 people to get two deals. I have to talk to two and a half people to get two deals. 
Right. Yeah. So that makes a big difference. Okay. And then a little while ago, you started a podcast, the 12 hour broker, which is now part of our network. So you guys, if you're on my email list, you'll be getting these sent out. So tell me about where the idea for that came from and what can somebody expect if they go check that out? It's kind of one of those things that was always in the back of my head and I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I just said, Hey, I've got a pretty cool thing going here. Cause I was doing, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40 million working 12 hours a week. And I'm like, there's a lot of things that I do in a day-to-day basis that I think other people could benefit from. I said, Hey, I work 12 hours. It's called the 12 hour broker. And I'm just going to literally drive in my Jeep or my truck with my phone on my headset with my dog. And I'm just going to start talking. And I have not listened to one of those podcasts. I've not edited any of them. You can hear the clicker going on. You can hear, you know, I'm drinking my coffee as I'm doing it. They range from anywhere from five to 20 minutes. And it's basically explaining certain things in our business, things from mindset to process, to sales, to marketing. But I try to get a little more in the weeds, give you more nuts and bolts. Because a lot of podcasts I listen to, it's very high level. It's like, hey, go see the people, pick the phone up and call. It's like, well, what do you say when you get the people on the phone call? So I go into that on those podcasts. And so I say it's more for newer brokers because I have sort of a passion with I feel like our industry is letting a lot of new brokers down. And I said, I just want to change this. So I didn't start it with any agenda. There's still really no agenda. I just turn my phone on every morning and start talking. Yeah. So you can go check those out at 12 Hour Broker. Or if you go to Island Mortgage Brokering, actually, we have a link to it as well. If you go to our website, there's a link to Ryan's show. Yeah, it's been awesome. It's been cool to see. And it's definitely a different format than this. Like This is like, hey, I'm trying to dive into stuff. But it's personality-based. Like I couldn't do that. If I had to sit there, you would not want to listen to me just talk. I just, <laughs> I couldn't do it. And I think this goes back to what you said earlier is you have to be authentic, right? Yeah. When you're authentic, it takes less energy. You're going to attract the right people. And it's when you try to be somebody else, that's when, you know, it's not going to work out. Yeah. I can't be everything to everyone. And I know there's people that don't come across my plate or don't want to work with me because of whatever, but I'm okay. Like I just keep going this way. And it's like, I just keep bringing people with me and those people, like they stick with me. So it's pretty cool. It's kind of nice waking up every day, just knowing, like, I don't have to go be someone. I can just do exactly what I want to do and act how I want to act and let the chips fall where they fall. Yeah, no, that's awesome. All right. So let me ask you a few rapid fire questions. Now, what's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I won the Canadian Nationals for wrestling when I was in junior high and high school. So I was number one in Canada for wrestling. Have you ever done anything with that, by the way, like jujitsu or? Nope. No, I haven't done anything with it outside of, you know, accidentally choking out my brother-in-law in his basement um, <laughs> after a couple of beer one day. <laughs> yeah, if you get some beer in you, it's like, hey, let's go. Let's wrestle. He's like, I want to see you like here, try and take me down. And I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay, so what's one movie everyone should watch at least once? I would say, well, I think. Shawshank Redemption. That's pretty cool. One, mm-hmm. of, one of my one of my favorite movies. That's a classic too. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a classic. So I'm gonna go just that simple classic. Simple class. classic route. Yeah. All right. So what's one software program that you couldn't run your business without? Well, right now it's Webinar Jam. That's yeah. something we've been using for years, and that's all of our webinars are hosted on there. All the automation we run in our business. So it would be webinar. it'll be a night. But yeah, if you you have to replace it with something if yeah, outside of like Calendly and stuff like that. But that's you know we've been using that for years. But I'd say Webinar Jam is the number one right now. Okay, what's one book you recommend for our listeners? Well, I'm a marketing guy, and so I like any book by Russell Brunson who created ClickFunnels, Marketing Secrets, Traffic Secrets. 
because I'm a marketing guy. I think marketing makes the world go round. And so if you can harness the marketing in your business, you know, it gives you a lot of leeway in other areas. So I'd probably say Traffic Secrets by Russell Brunson. Yep, that's a good one. So elevator question, you're in an elevator, you've got your ideal client and you got 30 seconds. What would you say to this? You know, you said a $200,000 double income earner with equity, what's your pitch? Pitch would be, you know, is your goal to pay off your mortgage as quick as possible? And nine times out of 10, everyone's goal is that. I go, okay, well, I can show you how to pay off your mortgage in 10 years. And that's it. And that's that's, They're going to be like, how? And then that's going to start the whole discussion of around planning. and Because they might not have kids telling them they can pay for the kids' education. They might love what they do. So they might not want to retire five years early. They might have a pension in the family. So they might not want to create a pension in real estate. But everyone wants to know how to pay off their mortgage in 10 years. And so I'd say, I have certain strategies where I can help you pay off your mortgage in 10 years. And that's where I would start. And then it just started the conversation. And then the DeLorean question, I put you in the car from the DeLorean, travel back in time to when you first started as a mortgage broker. When did you start, by the way? How many years ago was it? Uh, I would say 14. 14 years ago. And you could sit down and say, Ryan, these are three pieces of advice you must have from the future. What would they be? Well, number one would be, I said at the beginning, you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so you need to put yourself out there. I didn't do that for the first four years. I wanted to hide behind a keyboard and I'm not like an outgoing guy. And just to go talk to people one-on-one, I'm great, but I just didn't like presenting or doing any of that. But if I would have put myself out there a lot sooner, my business would have grown a lot quicker. Number two, I would track every client, every lead, every application, and I would build that list, like your database, essentially. I didn't do that for the first four or five years. And so every year I was starting my business 2017 rolls around, I'm dealing with whoever I find in 2017, whereas everyone else is dealing with clients from 2013, 14, 15, 16. I was starting fresh every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so put yourself out there, build the list. And then number three would be finding out sooner than later who that avatar client is, because I was doing B deals, private deals, commercial, residential, and not even for me, for your client. Like I was doing a disservice to my clients. I would do B deals for them and I'd get the deal done. And then I would actually talk to a B expert three months later and find out I didn't do the best job for them. And I was doing my clients a disservice because I wasn't a master in anything. And so now I've got that dialed in. So I would kind of figure out who your avatar is. Yeah, that's really good. So put yourself out there, build the list and clearly define your avatar. Or I always say like a niche, like the narrower, the better, right? Like the more focused and I've seen this in your business, the more focused you become on a niche, the easier, oh. the bigger you've grown and the easier it's got. They're like layups for you now. It's night and day, I'm telling you. And that's only really been the last couple of years where we've actually got that dialed in because I was scared of losing other things. And I could do this and I could do that. But crazy things start happening. Momentum starts happening. The people who you help, who are your avatar, you want to get out of bed now because you know you've got calls with seven avatars that day instead of this mix mash of people that you don't really like working with. And then those people have circles and they go get more avatars for you. And it steamrolls like that. But if I'm just a mortgage broker that's doing everything for everyone, how am I any different? I'm not, I can't hone in on the language I'm having with people. I don't understand my elevator pitch that well. I'm not believing I'm really good at everything. Since we went down this road, our business has transformed. Yeah, I've totally seen it too. You seem like you're having more fun. That's awesome, brother. Well, hey, if you're listening to this, go check out the 12-Hour Broker Podcast. If you're interested in having Ryan help you retool your business a bit, go to 10loansamonth.com and you can apply. It's limited. like Because all of our coaches are 
active mortgage brokers who run businesses, there is limited space for any of this stuff because this is something you just do as a side thing that you just enjoy doing. But your main thing is mortgages still. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome, brother. Good chat with you. Okay. Thanks, dude. Peace out. Hey, Aaron. Welcome to Ask the Experts. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me here today. Excited to be on your podcast. Yeah, so Aaron is the counsel for Western Canada for Dita.ca, and I absolutely love what the guys and you guys are doing at Dita. We always want to bring in stuff for you as a listener that's valuable and helps you. So today we're going to talk about title insurance, and there's many types of coverage, and Aaron will talk about this, but the four things that people need to be aware of. So maybe explain what is title insurance if somebody doesn't know. Yeah, thanks, Scott. So what title insurance is, is in regards to purchasers, it's a policy of insurance that protects the owner's interest in property from losses that incurred as a result of unknown title defects that existed at the time of purchase, but were unknown to the purchaser at that time. So just to unpack that a little bit. So first of all, we're talking about the owner's interest. So not the lender's interest, not anybody else's interest. It's in regards to real estate. So, you know, the house or the home that's being purchased or a condo, and it protects against losses. So again, it has to be, you know, some type of loss that's incurred as a result of a title defect, or we'll talk about what kind of defects it covers and had to exist at the time of purchase. And it had to be unknown to the purchaser at that time. So it couldn't have been something that was known to them at the time of purchase. I see. Okay. Makes sense. That's a great definition. So how many different types of things does it cover? So there's a whole list of different coverages under a title insurance policy, but I'm just going to cover sort of the four main ones that we see title insurance policies being used for. And that I think, you know, are a particular value to owners. Okay, cool. Yeah. So why don't you give me what's the first one that they get the insurance for? Yeah. So the first one that we see title insurance being used for quite frequently is the survey coverage. So many lenders, in fact, require a title insurance policy if there's no survey obtained at the time of purchase. So surveys, it depends on what province you're purchasing property in. In Alberta, for example, surveys are quite common in the major cities to be obtained. So however, you know, in rural areas or other provinces where surveys aren't as readily obtained or perhaps they're quite expensive to obtain, such as like on a rural property, the survey coverage is often used in lieu of obtaining that actual survey. Okay, makes a lot of sense. They can't get the certificate or they can't get the survey. So you're saying, hey, it is what it is. Can you give an example of a situation where it actually covered for something for somebody? Yeah, so this is actually, I have a great story on this one, Scott. So in addition to the survey coverage, it actually provides coverage if the survey didn't actually show something that Perhaps if they had gotten an up-to-date survey done, that survey would have shown. So it actually happened to me personally last week. I'm house sitting at my parents' house and I'm mowing the lawn in the backyard. And I notice a bylaw officer pulls up to the side of the house there and comes to the front door. So I answer the door and thinking, you know, what the heck could be going on here? And he tells me that, in fact, the fire department had come by to do some maintenance on the fire hydrant that's actually located just on the side of my parents' property right by their fence. And in fact, the fire hydrant is supposed to be at least one meter away from the fence. And it turns out that the fence is actually encroaching on that fire hydrant space. So he issues us a ticket. The ticket's supposed to be remedied within the next... I think 30 days or else we're going to be incurring additional fees. So what that means is that in fact, we have to do something to move the fence essentially, or to create some type of 
area along the fence where now the fire hydrant can be that one meter distance away from the fence. So back in 1990, my parents unfortunately did not obtain a title insurance policy. So all the fees associated with rectifying the fence and perhaps even, you know, proving to the city with an up-to-date survey is going to be all at their cost. They got to pay for all that. But if they had title insurance, that would have been covered. So that's, and that's an example of a defect on a survey that, like you said, it wasn't on there but it was pre-existing. Okay, cool. What other types of examples of coverage would somebody get title insurance for? Yeah, so another really common coverage is the permit coverage. So quite often, you know, when we're buying property, it's not uncommon for that property to recently been renovated. So, you know, the purchasers are now, you know, excited to be buying something like a renovated basement, but those renovations have maybe just been completed in time for the sale. So, In that situation, there is coverage if there's a title insurance policy provided for permit issues under the policy. So I'll just kind of give an example of this and jump right into it. So so one example would be we had some purchasers, they just purchased this property where there'd been a basement renovation. Unfortunately, they weren't aware that the final inspections on the permits for the renovation had not been completed by the time of the closing date. So later when the inspector came by to close out those permits, they did find out that there was outstanding issues with respect to the renovations that had been done under that permit. Fortunately for them, they did have a title insurance policy. And so the policy was able to provide the coverage and the costs that were involved in bringing those renovations up to standard with the permits. Okay, cool. So is there any other like main ones that you see people wanting the title insurance for? Yeah, the third one is the fraud coverage. So of course, we're all aware that, you know, fraud and title fraud and mortgage fraud is a real hot topic these days. So title insurance also provides for fraud coverage. This means that it provides coverage if either someone is impersonating you to transfer title of your property to someone else or to fraudulently register a mortgage against title to your property. Fraud cases often involve people who are related to each other, interestingly enough. Can't trust your family. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Can't trust your family. You know, one of the biggest fraud cases that we saw in Alberta actually involved a son and his father who who had the same name. I'll just call them the son junior and the father senior there. So of course, junior was a little bit evil. And in this case, he decided to impersonate his father senior and fraudulently transfer seniors property to a friend and register a mortgage against titles of that property. And of course, the funds that were dispersed under that mortgage were long gone. So senior found out about this. Fortunately, he had a title insurance policy and the title insurance coverage provided for title to be rectified and transferred back into his name. And of course, the mortgage that was fraudulently registered was also taken care of as well. That is so crazy. So don't name your kids after you. This is the lesson there. And get title insurance. I'm just kidding. Get title insurance and uh, yeah, don't name and your use kids. Use a different name. Change it somehow. Okay. That sucks for him. Okay. So then uh, I think you had one other that you were going to talk about that people used Yeah, to- I think this one's a little bit lesser known, but title insurance also provides for coverages for what we call condo estoppel certificates. So these are these information statements that we get from the condo property managers usually that confirm for the purchaser that one, there's no outstanding condo fees due at the time of purchase. 
and that there's no special assessments that are going to be levied. So we do rely on these certificates quite heavily when doing purchases. However, you know, human beings make mistakes and sometimes, you know, these things get missed. So in this particular situation, a purchaser purchased their condo. The estoppel certificate was all good. It said nothing owing, no special assessments. Unfortunately, in the time between when that estoppel certificate was issued and the closing date, there was a special assessment issued by the condo board. And then that new owner then, of course, was responsible for that. However, they had a title insurance policy. And in that case, because the estoppel certificate they obtained didn't show that special assessment, then the title insurance actually provided coverage. So the purchaser wasn't responsible for paying that special assessment. Right. So it actually happened from the time offer was written and before closing. So they didn't know about it, right? So you're saying that they hadn't even even closed on it because if you weren't closing, you're not going to get sent the notification because you don't own it. And so they didn't know. And then they covered the, those things can be big too. They can be really large. Like, yeah, they, you know, they can be upwards of, you know, 30, $40,000. And, you know, in this situation, the law firm or the notary did everything right. They obtained that certificate. It just wasn't completely up to date as of the date of closing. So it could very easily happen. Okay. So, and what does it not cover? Yeah. So most importantly, I say, you know, for mortgage brokers, real estate professionals, the number one thing that it doesn't cover is it doesn't cover issues that are known to the purchaser at the time of closing. The most common incorrect usage of title insurance is is it being used to cover things that are known? So the common example that comes up is, you know, the seller gets that survey done, they find out that there's encroachment and the seller goes, don't worry, we'll provide you with title insurance. But of course, at that time, the issue is known And so therefore it's excluded from coverage. So again, it has to be an issue that's not known at the time. Yeah, You can't use it as a way to like, Hey, I'll cover this massive problem that's coming up. If you know about it, then you're not covered, which kind of makes sense. It's like people would have used it if that was the case. They would not stay in business. Exactly. It's kind of like life insurance, right? So if I go to purchase a life insurance policy and I know that I have a heart problem and I don't disclose that to my insurer and then later I, you know, pass away of a heart attack, my beneficiaries are going to be affected because I knew about that issue and I didn't tell it to my insurer at the time that I got that coverage. Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time to chat about title insurance and give us some concrete examples of, you know, how it can help people. And so definitely get it and check out deeded.ca slash ILMB. You guys have got a great offer for people. If you're looking for virtual signings, I appreciate you guys supporting us, but also educating our audience on some of the things they don't know about title insurance. Thanks so much, Scott. It was a pleasure. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.